Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Greetings. This is James Stouts with the host of the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And his book is A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism, published by the University of Texas Press. We had a great wide ranging discussion about Sun Ra and how he fits into popular culture and how, from Paul's perspective, he is responsible for the birth of the Afrofuturism movement that people have become so familiar with today. So this is a great interview. Paul's a great guy, and he's really enthusiastic and interested in the work of Sun Ra. He also does a great job in explaining how you do archival research and how you can become a scholar. So young people, if you're interested in becoming an academic researcher like Paul or you have a passion project like this, definitely you want to listen to this interview as well. So the book is A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. And the author is Paul Youngquist of the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I want you to take a listen to it now on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel, and I'm here today with the author of A Pure Solar Wind. Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism, Paul Youngquist, who is an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And his book is published by the University of Texas Press. Our friends there, they, they often uh, provide us some, some good authors and some good books on the New Books Network, the African American Studies Channel. And it's no different today. Paul Youngquist, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. It's good to be here, James. Absolutely. It's great to talk with you. And we're going to be talking about the artist Sun Ra. Now, a lot of people probably have heard of Sun Ra, but there may be some others who maybe aren't as familiar. Um, so we're going to be you know, going into a lot of depth and detail about Sun Ra and his connection to Afrofuturism. But before we do that, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background and how you got interested in this topic? Yeah, sure can. And that's a good question, because what's a white kid from the Midwest doing writing a book on Sun Ra? That's what I want to know. I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the year. You can figure that out, though. And I was a, <laughs> as a preacher's kid, uh, so I spent a lot of time in church. Uh, and that's probably where I was first exposed to music, but not, I can promise you, Sun Ra. <laughs> um, my childhood is uneventful, but it was an eventful time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in the 60s, so there was that Vietnam mm-hmm. War, all that worry about the draft, civil rights movement, all those killings. in mm-hmm. uh, in, when I was in sixth grade, there was, there was a, a kind of remarkable event in my life. I went to school on the first day of school. Mm-hmm. I came home from school, and I said to my mom, Mom, there's, there's a black boy in my class. Mm. And that hadn't happened before. And oh. my mother, the preacher's wife, she said, oh, really? So she called up the school, and she got the name of that black boy's mother. Her name was Thelma. Mm-hmm. And she went down to Thelma's house. And became her friends, wow. uh, lifelong friends. So, so as I think about like where does this interest in the music come from, it, it comes partly from Thelma. But mm. later on, I asked my mother, "Why'd you do that? You know, why did you seek out Thelma and make a friendship with her that that basically shaped our whole lives?" She says to me, "Paul," and she leans in and she says, "Paul, when they killed Dr. King, I felt I had to do something." Mm. You know, and, and we grew up in part of town that was literally just on the other side of the tracks, the proverbial tracks. Right, and, the dividing line. Yeah, and Thelma had bought a house on the wrong side of those tracks. Mm. So mm-hmm. my mother wanted to make sure that Thelma and her family, the Bivens family, you know, had a, had a good experience in the neighborhood. And so that's, that's the, I, I think, the, the first place I connected mm-hmm. uh, with um, 
So it's black people and black culture in a way that kind of raised interesting questions for me. And I owe a lot to Thelma. Mm-hmm. I dedicated this book to my mother and my other mother, mm-hmm. Joanne and my other mother, Thelma, because they were both very powerful women, important women in my life. Thelma uh, Bivens, right? Thelma Bivens. Thelma Bivens. So, and, and son Howard, who is my age. Okay. You grew up. Yeah, I was going to say if, uh, if any descendants from Thelma or Howard are, are listening, you got the shout out right here on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel from Dr. Paul Youngquist. Oh, yeah. Very oh, yeah. influential in your life. I, right? I, I'm, I'm grateful for their, for their company. Anyway, from there, I, I just grew up. You know, I, I went to high school. I graduated in 1976, the bicentennial year. Wow. That's a big deal. And then I, I uh, unlike Howard, <laughs> my friend, I was able to go to college. <laughs> Right. So I went to a small Lutheran school for okay. a couple of years uh, and then I transferred to the University of Colorado, of all places, more on that later and graduated from there mm-hmm. in 1980. Uh, I was an English major because I didn't know what else to do and I liked to read and I was enjoying that. A couple of my professors said, hey, you should go to graduate school. And I said, graduate school, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they told me uh, you know, it was like it was like college, only more so. And I thought, well, that beats construction, which was yes, my plan before that. So I kind of I kind of fell into graduate school. Uh, was accepted to the University of Virginia, went there for a master's degree, and then continued there for a PhD degree, which uh, I finally got in 1988. And then at that point, you know, against all odds, uh, I got an actual job at an actual university. <laughs> <laughs> Penn State University. Okay, you probably heard of that. Um, and, uh, and and that was really that was really a great moment in my life too, because it was there at Penn State that I acquired a colleague by the name of Billy Joe Harris. Mm. Billy Joe turned out to be a really important figure in my life, my intellectual life, but also kind of my my life of listening to music. Billy Joe was a poet. He is the editor of Miri Baraka, mm-hmm. and he's a really deep listener to music, black music and, and jazz in particular. So we used to sit around, uh, listen to music at Billy Joe's house, and eventually we called it, and I'm sorry to put it this way, but we called it music that the women in our lives hated. Because oh. they just didn't like it. We tended to listen to a lot of free jazz, a lot of traditional oh, okay. stuff, really kind of demanding stuff, but it was joyous too, and he helped me understand how to listen to it. And one day we're sitting around listening and looked at each other and said, hey, you know, we should teach a class in this together. So we did. We taught a graduate seminar in free jazz. And it was then, and this was in the 1990s, it was really then that I started listening to Sun Ra. Okay. An amount of attention, curiosity, and then eventually a kind of obsession and love. So so I, I owe that all to Billy Joe. And, and there too, I just want to thank him for... for uh, turning me in that direction. Anyway, I worked at Penn State for 20 years. Uh, And I was um, able to get a job at the University of Colorado Boulder, where I had been an undergraduate. Right, right. It was a good opportunity because my mother was living out here at that time, and she was getting on, Mm -hmm. and it would be good to spend some time with her before she passed away. And and I'm glad she did, because we were able to to hang a bit before she left. and so here I am today. I, I teach courses in uh, 18th century British culture from a Caribbean perspective. Mm-hmm. I teach science fiction also. It's kind of that combo. Uh, oh, yeah. that me up to, to hear Sun Ra. And then I also do some literary and cultural theory. Uh, and a lot of my research right now has to do with, with Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And these people in Jamaica, indigenous uh, people of African descent called okay. Maroons, who have been independent on the island since the year 1739, when they won their independence from okay. the British, there was a certain amount of uh, guerrilla resistance. So, so that's who I am in a nutshell. Wow, that's a that's a, a really cool nutshell there. <laughs> You've had some interesting experiences, kind of been all across the country doing some some different things, and wow, yeah. and yeah, thank you for for sharing because it's really good for the listeners to kind of understand the, the backgrounds and the motivations for the folk you know, um, that we get to hear on the New Books Network. So absolutely. Thank you, for, you know, for, for sharing that. And who is this man that we're, we're talking to? It's Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder 
And we're talking with him on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel today about his book, A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. That's a great title. He's a great artist. And this is a, a very good book. You know, I learned a lot about Sun Ra. You know, I, I came from a, you know, a bit of a later time period. I'd heard the name and I'd heard some of the, the music. And like you, Paul, I was kind of fascinated. And so yeah. I learned a, a whole lot more about Sun Ra you know, in reading your, reading your book. So, you know, I thank you uh, for, for writing this and, and you, you know, and, and your efforts. And speaking of efforts, you know, I'd like to, like to ask the authors as well, how long did it take for you to, to complete this, this work? And oh, Jane. <laughs> Too long, really. <laughs> you know, an academic life is so full of a, a wide variety of demands. Right. I suppose, you know, I, I, first, I first came to this, this subject through Billy Joe and that course we taught together right. in mid-90s, and the question for me became, the more I listened, like, where does this music come from? Right. You know, it's like nothing else, really. It's challenging, it's kind of, it's crazy, it's glorious, it's beautiful, uh, but how did it happen? Um, that question was, was sort of a germ for a while. I suppose answering it uh, in a way that yielded the book maybe mm-hmm. took years from start to finish. Okay, wow. You know, so it was a, a matter of doing a lot of research, mm-hmm. uh, when the opportunity arose, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, finding a press that was in, interested in the project, and cool. all hail University of Texas. I really appreciate their support yeah. for this project. And then, and then writing it, um, probably a decade's worth of work. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So yeah, a, a decade's worth of work, and that's often you know what we hear. You know, scholars have different amounts of time, but I would say on average, you know, usually we hear eight to ten years, right, mm-hmm. to to do something like this. You don't just roll out off the turnip truck and the book is written, right? I mean, you have to <laughs> oh, lots of work. Lot of work. You know, if I can tell a little story about researching sure. them too. One of the cool things about the book then is that it brought together my interest in music. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us have an interest in music, but in the academy, we don't always know how to pursue it intellectually. Right. Uh, but it brought that together with my training in archival research ah, because right. just about the time I taught that course with Billy Joe. There was this big discovery in Chicago of uh, a new stash mm-hmm. of Sun Ra mm-hmm. stuff in memorabilia. <laughs> it had all been it had all been sort of squirreled away in the house of Alton Abraham. Alton mm-hmm. Abraham was Sun Ra's business manager okay. and musical okay. producer for most of his career. And you can imagine that he acquired a lot sure. of stuff associated with Sun Ra and uh, his various bands. Well, John Corbett, who is a, a very important writer on Sun Ra and enthusiastic, uh, enthusiast of his music based in Chicago, mm-hmm. he got wind that that house was going to be demolished. Oh. Went over there and kind of literally just started taking stuff out of it before the bulldozers came. Wow. So he acquired heaps of just junk related to uh, Sun Ra's career, business cards, letterheads, catalogs, contracts, bills, photographs, notebooks, scrapbooks, you name it. And got it all out of there and persuaded the University of Chicago to to take it, receive it, and house it as an archive. So when that became available, see, I thought, wow, I'm I'm a trained researcher. Why don't I get in that archive and see what I can learn? And, And that's what I did. Drove to Chicago and spent a lot of time um, over the course of several years, immersed in those materials. So, yeah, archival research is, you know, is very important work for many academics, you know, depending on the, the type of book that they're doing. So it's good to hear um, you share, you know, with the audiences that, you know, that, that was something that was really helpful for you. And you never know. One, what do they say? One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? That's so right. To speak. And so yeah. This is something yeah. that would have gone in the trash otherwise, if, if That's not right. for that individual. Wow. That's right. This trash is treasure, and it's available really for anybody's access. Okay. At the uh, rare books collection at the University of Colorado. I'm sorry. Whoops. Chicago. Chicago. Right. I was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're yeah. in Colorado, but the I'm in Colorado. But the That's collection right. is in yeah. is in Chicago, right? University of Chicago, and they're probably accessible. Have it has it been digitized to your knowledge or? Some of it has been digitized. Okay. A lot of this stuff, though, is going to be hard to digitize. Uh, some of it is, is actual physical material, okay. like the weird instruments, you know, and, uh, and film uh, from uh, orchestras, shows. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just a really interesting collection 
of what we might call ephemera, stuff that would be thrown out, as you say, uh, but uh, holds the key to understand, to answering that question that I had, well, where does this music come from? Where does it come from? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess we should uh, get into a little bit of talking a little bit more about where it comes from and, and yeah. what, you, what you found through your work and, and your research. And I'm here with the author of A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. And this book is published by our friends at the University of Texas Press. And I'm here with the author, Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I am your host, James Stansel, on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. So, Paul, yeah, let's maybe let's get into a little more detail about your book, A Pure Solar World, about Sun Ra. Can you just tell us a little bit about it and what readers can expect of some of your main points? Yes, I can. Um, uh, basically, the, the, the book follows the career of Sun Ra from mm-hmm. his early years in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He was born in, in Birmingham mm-hmm. um, up in, until the... It, Sun Ra and, and uh, his band sort of uh, lands permanently in Philadelphia mm-hmm. in around 1968. So that's basically the narrative arc of the book. Mm-hmm. But what's more important to me was to focus on uh, a, a few key points mm-hmm. that help answer that question of where this music comes from. And more importantly, perhaps, what this music is doing right. uh, in its in its. Uh, a, a cultural and political moments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, so that's really the itinerary uh, of the book. Let me tell you what happened when I went to that archive and just kind of immersed Absolutely. myself in that stuff. I I began to um, get a get an image of Samra, just sort of a, a, a perspective upon which to view his life and his creativity mm-hmm. from working with that material and also working with another really important book written by John Swed okay. called The Place, The Lives and Times of Sun Ra, really the best biography available on Sun Ra. Anyway, between this information, I came to see Sun Ra as this enormously gifted musician who is struggling against several forms of confinement. Mm-hmm. So part of an answer to that question, where does music come from? It comes from Sunrise's sense of confinement in an attempt to bust out of it. Now, three three forms of confinement in particular mm-hmm. uh, speak me as as <laughs> inspiring, if that's the right word for Sunrise. Sure. First of all, he was born in Birmingham, Alabama, in in 1914. Mm-hmm. His his name was was originally Herman Poole Blount, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so he's born a black man in the South. So there's that. Okay. Uh, but the, the real key experience for me was his own literal experience of confinement firsthand when he had tried to avoid military service mm. World War II as a conscientious objector. Okay. Uh, at first, Sun Ra just kind of avoided the whole thing. He, he didn't respond to the letters that asked him to show up for induction. Uh, and then he sort of more... Um, with with a greater kind of awareness applied to be a conscientious objector. Anyway, he ended up spending a month in jail in Birmingham, mm. several more months confined to a work camp for conscientious objectors in Kane, Pennsylvania. And I think this was a really tough experience for him. Mm-hmm. Because his his first love was music and his life was music. And during those times of confinement, he was unable to play. And he wrote letters that are just heartbreaking about how difficult that was for him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think that literal experience sort of, of, of performed for him the larger experience of, of many black people in the U.S. at this time. You know, the sense of, of like limited possibilities, constraints imposed okay. upon him. Okay. And so then there's the third experience of confinement he has. When he moves to Chicago in 1946... Chicago has been called at that time America's most segregated city. Mm-hmm. So he basically lived confined with African Americans on the south side of Chicago. So there too, sense of constraint and limitation. Right. So I think this movement, this music, which 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 moves toward openness, which tries to imagine better worlds, is very much born in the sense of limitation that came mm. his experience of constraints as uh, a black man in in mid century America. Mm-hmm. That's it's kind of the, the, the first answer that I, I came to that question, where does music come from? Confinement, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, constraints. You know, just like how do we break out of this? How do we how do we make a better world? You know. Right. And, so, and and the whole idea of yeah making a better world a different world that's kind of comes into that Afrofuturism kind of different kind of space connection there right it is pure solar world right 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 you know, all that solar language that's part of this bid for another kind of reality because the mm. one he's born into is not one that uh, is is generous toward him and, or allows him the the possibilities that he wants to create so you got to create it. And, and you create it by imagining a solar world mm-hmm. and, 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 and by creating music that'll take you there. But not only you, people like you, right. you know, foremost African-Americans. Right. Uh, so, so, so the whole the, the, I became I began to see the music as a kind of cultural activism and Sun Ra as a cultural activist, mm-hmm. you know, He's working in parallel with political activists like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. He's their contemporary. But here's the deal. Mm-hmm. He's using music as his means to imagine a better world and to exhort change for right. the better. Right. So everyone has their different areas, I guess, that they have skills or talents yeah. in. And he's using his musical talent to try to affect That's the change. That, that's his Afrofuturism. You know, if, if you're going to imagine a future from a black perspective, for him, you're going to do that through music. And music is going to be your vehicle to that better world. Absolutely. And so we're here with the author, Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Buffalo. I was going to say Buffalo, but it's Colorado <laughs> Buffaloes. University of Colorado yeah. at Boulder. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the book we're talking about today is published by the University of Texas Press. It's called A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra, and the Birth of Afrofuturism, All right? And so Afrofuturism is kind of becoming a vogue, uh, kind of a really popular term now. So what does that mean to you? Because your subtitle is The, the Birth and the Birth of Afrofuturism, yeah. right? So you feel like Sun Ra is very important. In Afrofuturism. So, what does that mean to you? You've kind of explained a little bit, but maybe go in a little sure. more depth. Yeah, let me take a shot at it because it's in the air. <laughs> Afrofuturism right now is a really important uh, cultural and aesthetic movement. Sure. But of course, Sun Ra didn't know anything about it. No. Partly what I'm trying to argue is that he's the father of the grandfather of, of Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. but he didn't use that word to explain it. You know, he, he was trying to imagine a better world, a future world, from a black perspective from an African-American perspective. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, since he's so completely devoted to this notion of the future, right. I see him as, as sort of the granddaddy of Afrofuturism. And a lot of, a lot of other artists and creators do now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got that ball rolling without having a word for it or without having a way of describing it. So one of the ways we describe it today is by looking back mm-hmm. at seeing what he was doing. So for me, one of the key moves that he makes, and I think this is huge and important, one of the key moves he makes is to say, hey, black people, you're living in the past. You're obsessed with the past of subjection and domination. Mm-hmm. You're obsessed with slavery, a history of slavery. And you know what? That's pretty bad because it's a history of death and mayhem. So his move is to say, forget that history. Think about tomorrow. Ah. Turn away from the past Turn toward the future. Mm. Imagine a better future, a black future, an African-American future. So, so he does this really, I think, courageous, bold, and questionable thing. Hmm. He says, hey, man, we've got to detach ourselves from that history, invent a new history. And for that, he goes back to Egypt, mm-hmm. ancient Egypt, where you have black people create a great civilization that lasts for thousands of years. He says, that's our true history. Let's forget about that middle part, that middle passage, which is so bad. Mm-hmm. And let's turn toward the future. And let's invent music and create works of art, mm-hmm. contribute to the world works of beauty that are headed in a future direction, a better world in which we can realize true potential as black people, true happiness as black people. So that, for me, is his Afrofuturist move. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a political register because he wants a better world. But it's also got a kind of visionary register because that better world, it ain't this world, mm. right? Mm. It's another mm. world. 
so there's also kind of criticism involved here of a politics that can't aspire beyond the present. Mm. Well, Sunrise Future is really is really visionary, you know, utopian, you could say, sure. a world where we've been liberated to fulfill our possibilities. And by our, I guess I mean Sunrise talking about African Americans, right. you know, possibilities they have for creativity uh, and and political and social potential. So, you know, when I, you know, and I, I was a child of the 80s, you know, Paul, mm-hmm. I, you know, I come with the Run DMC and, you know, all that kind of hip hop, right. Sugar Hill Gang and all, all that yeah. kind of movement. But, you know, uh-huh. when, when I learned about Sun Ra, it was kind of, you know, you know, it was kind of a, in retrospect, you know, kind of a later kind of thing. And I think about him and, you know, and I make comparisons to a, uh, you know, a Jimi Hendrix. You know, yeah. to an to an extent, to uh, George Clinton with Parliament, Funkadelic, okay. mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Bootsy Collins, uh, you know, and more like for me as a as a young man, like X Clan, which did, did, mm-hmm. was a, a hip hop group that had that real, like you said, that mm-hmm. kind of Egyptian, you know, uh, African, you know, you know, con, you know, connection or an outcast, you mm-hmm. know, you know kind of AT, you know AT aliens. Um, you know, and so there's a clear line, at least to me, you know, and, you know, you know more about it than than I do. You know what? You know, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I think there is a clear line. I think that um, Sunrise behind a lot of this artistic expression, even if the artists aren't aware of it, sure. because what he invents really is a vocabulary an artistic and musical vocabulary for imagining the future. So anyone, any black artist who's interested not just in bling in this present moment, mm-hmm. but it's in turning toward something else, something, something bigger, something, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. better, uh, is really inevitably referencing Sun Ra as one of the guys, not the only one, who, uh, and there are women too, who began oh. to invent uh, that, that possibility and use music specifically as an idiom. So absolutely you see it in, in, um, in P-Funk. Uh, and George Clinton. They're very much part of that Sunrock project, but they are so earthly, right? They bring it down to earth because it's all funky for them. And, and funk becomes this like force for transfa- transforming this planet. It's a really interesting move in the wake of Sunrock because it's focused on, on the earth, where Sunrock is like, let's get out of here. Space is the place, man. We're going somewhere else. But that shows you that this Afrofuturist example and the kind of language that's being evolved through it mm-hmm. is, is capable of many trans, uh, transformations and applications. You know, Absolutely. so people come along and do it. There's like, like Outcast is a, is a really good. I didn't even hear it in music today. Today's oh, music, oh, yes. It's just you know alive with Afro futurism. You think of Jimelle Monet, yes, for and the work she's doing from specifically a gendered perspective, woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about what about this? Am I an android? What? Uh, that hooks into the Sun Ra project, or even the, the recent Tribe Called Quest record mm-hmm. seems to me very directly related to that. Or there are other artists, of course. say, um, Hieroglyphic Being, if you know his work, Jamal mm-hmm. Moss from Chicago. Uh, that, that deep house stuff that he does, I think, just comes directly out of Sun Ra and Sun Ra's experimentations uh, with the mini and the synthesizer and so forth. So, so one of the reasons I look to him for the birth of Afrofuturism is that that Senra, I think, has made possible all kinds of different responses right. to that possibility, the possibility of imagining better world for African-Americans in the future, a black future. Right. Uh, through, right. Through music. You know, people often now, they think about Afrofuturism in terms of like uh, fiction, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, science fiction or uh, graphic novels or, you know, comics. Yeah. Uh, some some film, um, you know, but you know this is this is music, and you mentioned uh, you gave you gave some people if they're interested in some some nice musical references, you gave them a few there that they can uh, yeah, you <laughs> know, and, I, and check out and listen to. I think you know one of the one of the ways people talk about Afrofuturism today is that it takes kind of African American creativity and crosses it with science fiction, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's very much the case, and you can see how appealing that is. Sunra understood that the real aliens in America were from Africa. Mm. He understood that he was an alien from another world. And that's one of the reasons he wanted to head to another world. Right. So, so he opens up the possibility of a, almost of a musical science fiction or a black science fiction mm. whose agenda mm. turns up to be much different 
than conventional science fiction, which is basically uh, uh, written and created by white people for for white people. You know, so audience, sure, sure. If you if you add a kind of black register science fiction, you change the whole game. Uh, and I think that happens with that the futures. And the point I want to make here, though, mm-hmm. is I think you can, you can have a um, a really creative and forceful Afrofuturism that does not have a science fictional component, okay. but okay. nevertheless looks toward the future. And just to give you a, an example of that, I was recently watching um, uh, Kendrick Lamar's video, I, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's just set in the city. It's just a black part of town, and it, it's not about leaving the planet or anything, but it's so Afro-futurist because it's really about a message mm-hmm. of a better tomorrow um, and not getting stuck in a history uh, of confinement. So, so I, I think there are lots of varieties of Afro-futurism, and I, I think Samuel's example really opens up those possibilities. Absolutely. And we're here with Paul Youngquist, the author of A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra. And the Birth of Afrofuturism, published by our friends at the University of Texas Press. And Paul Youngquist is, of course, a professor of English at the University of Colorado Boulder. He's a buffalo. A buffalo. As as an academic and now a professional academic and as an undergrad, right? So you're you're back home, so to speak. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I came back home. You know, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's true what they say about going home. <laughs> it's not so like you think it is. Uh, that is easy. Everything changes while you've been gone. Every, yeah. it, it, it does. But we can still make it home, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. Maybe yeah. a, a bit of a different home, but we can still make it home. Um, and, and, Paul, if you don't mind, you know, I, I like to talk about, like, the book covers and, and jackets as well. Because uh-huh. imagery, particularly with, with someone like uh, Sun Ra, is very important as well. And so yeah. let's, talk, let's, let's talk a little bit about this image on the cover. And, yeah, though, yes, this is a podcast, but you can go to our New Books Network African-American Studies channel uh, homepage and look at the blog, and you can click, and you can see the image here. You can click right through and purchase Paul's book from Amazon right there on our page. Um, so you can do that as well. And you can see Paul's lovely face, and not mine. You don't need to see me, but you can... <laughs> <laughs> You'll be able to see Paul's image up there as well. And this image, you know, what we're talking about now, this image of Sun Ra on the cover. So can you tell us a little bit about the cover image and did you choose it? Was it chosen by the publisher? You know, any kind of meaning? And then as well as the, the title. Tell us about the, the, the title. Sure, sure, I will. I'll tell you both those stories. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a delicate choice, the choice of the cover image. Of course. Yeah. The press had some ideas, and I had some ideas, and we <laughs> tossed them back and forth. That particular image won out, to my surprise, uh, over uh, a bunch of others that were like cooler and hipper and crazier. Mm-hmm. But that one really sends the message, you know, that there's there's something uh, very creative happening here in the context of African-American culture. Right. Now, that image uh, is one that I found amidst all the material ah. that is happening. University of Chicago. Right. It was it was in a big stack of pictures, glossies. You know, I was just looking through it. And I thought, well, that's a cool one. You know, that's <laughs> kind of crazy. What does it mean? I'm not sure, but I'm getting some futuristic feelings from it. It was used uh, on the cover of an LP that Saturn Records produced. Okay. Sunrise, sort, sort of DIY record house produced. Uh, in the 60s called Fate in a Pleasant Mood. Mm. Um, but other than that, it's not widely known. Uh, so so I, I suggested to the press that maybe maybe that image is black and white, so mm-hmm. high contrast black and white, and what the press did was take it and colorize it in that way. Mm-hmm. Once they put the color to it, man, the thing just pops. Yeah. Really nice, really nice image. Uh, so they went with that, and um, that was... That was that was good because we didn't have to pay anybody for it. The University of Chicago, <laughs> in their generosity, gave us permission to use it on the cover. Awesome. And I, I think it it says what the um, what the the book needs to say about mm-hmm. something as created. Now the title. It's interesting that you ask about that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what that title taught me is that an author often doesn't know very much about an author's own work. So I had a different title. I'm not going to tell you what it was. You, you don't. And, want, you're not going to tell us. All right, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. My title was Sun Ra Cohen, Sounds for the Space Age. Ah, right? okay. And, and the editor down there at the University of Texas, uh, this glorious man named Robert Devins, says, I don't know, Paul. I think, 
I think that's a little flat. I'm a little like flat, flat, sound, space. You know, doesn't that happen? Says, no, I don't think so. So, so he said, just you know, toss it over and think about some alternatives, will you? And I'll do the same. So a few days later, he wrote me back and said, you know, Paul, I've been reading, I've been reading the book again, and in this phrase, pure solo world, I, I think it just jumps out. I, I think, I think that's what your book's about. You know, how about pure solo world and the bird band for futurism? I thought, well. A, you're the editor. B, uh, yeah, yeah, it's his phrase. It's his phrase, and it, it, it describes his vision. Right. I like that. And then, and then Robert, but, but then I said to Robert, well, but Afrofuturism, you know, that word wasn't, wasn't around when he was, when he was working, and, 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 and it's kind of far back in the mix in the book, isn't it? And Robert said, oh, no, no, this is, this is about the beginning of something. It, it, it doesn't right. have to be up front because Sun Ra is evolving the terms that will be available for later after future artists. Right. So I'm, I'm saying, I am persuaded that's why you're an editor. And I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great story, Paul. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I like, you, you know, you, you guys, the scholars and, the, you know, the authors and researchers to share those kind of stories so people okay. understand that, uh, you know, it's not like you're sitting there writing and bam, you just have this outstanding oh. book title or you know exactly what the image is going to be. It's it's the work of the writers as well as the editors and it's it a is. group project to, it is. Know, to make these things go together. <laughs> you said, James, it is a group project. You know, um, there was a whole crew behind that book and the, the people, the glorious people at University of Texas Press really made it a much better book than it would have otherwise. <laughs> you know, so I, I am beholden to and grateful to their assistance, support, yeah. and guidance in, in introducing that thing. Yeah. So shout out to University of Texas Press again uh-huh. from Dr. Uh-huh. Youngquist. He, he appreciates your, your work and your efforts. What was his name? Robert Blevins, I think he said, right? Devin. Robert Devin. Devin. Robert yeah. Devins. You've done good. Robert. I like this title, and I think you teased out some important meaning yes, from Paul's did. book here. Um, yeah. It's definitely a good title. Paul, your title was okay. I'm not saying it wasn't okay, but... <laughs> he was right. You know, I'm here to learn. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a humbling experience to write an MBA. You know? And so, so, for you young scholars, you young researchers and stuff, don't go title first. You know, yeah. make sure you can get the work done and worry about that title later. Get the work done. And be open to help, you know, because right. there are people out there who just want to help you. And they will. You know, because I think back in, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, you know, Paul, when I'm helping people, when I was working in K-12, helping students edit their papers or, or things, and they think, well, I missed a stance, I, I need the title. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is the title. Like, you know, worry about that title later. Worry about that introduction later because that introduction, that thesis may change based on what, you, right. what you find or, you know, That's what right. you end up, you know, you know with. Just kind of get into that meter, you know, of, of, of what you're trying to do and accomplish. So thank you for sharing that, Paul. This is absolutely, a, a, you know, a great example. And so you're talking, you were talking to Paul Youngquist here, the author of A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. So how would we describe Sun Ra's music, Paul? If we, you know, it's, it kind of goes beyond category. But if we had to put it, for folk who maybe aren't familiar with Sun Ra, if we had to put it in a couple of categories, what, what, what would we put it in? Well, um... You could you could call it jazz. That's what, what yeah, he that's what most people call it. Right? You know, uh, I like his phrase "space music." Ah, okay. That seems to be the phrase that 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 really stuck with him when he was 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 um, trying to describe what he was doing in the music. He used the phrase "space music." It the, the music, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's crazy. It's compelling. It's it's kaleidoscopic. It's weird, but I think it's all about space. Mm-hmm. So it, it ties into that project of of pursuing other worlds. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, the music is really a spaceship. Mm-hmm. It's really a rocket. It's a vehicle for space travel. Ah. And at the same time, and this is the weirdness of it, it's also the destination of space travel. Wow. The I music takes it <laughs> It's where you arrive. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think that phrase is really, really important. Um, and I would say that, that maybe... Here's where we've got to be careful. It's easy to go professorial on you, right? I think there are three qualities that characterize this space music. Sure, it's a form of jazz, but, but, but it's also, in a way, it's almost bigger than that. So mm-hmm. these qualities, for me, uh, the music is characterized by this incredible openness. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's response to confinement, a music that is open. 
Mm. You know, that, that is exploratory right. rather than defined in advance. First quality. Second quality would be a music of multiplicity. What do I mean by that? Many different rhythms, not just one, yeah. one. Sun Ra will lay one over another over another. So it's incredibly multiple rhythms. Harmonies are, are just crazy and beautiful and multiple. Many different melodies sometimes playing in and out of each other. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have a, a pretty large ensemble. So you have many different uh, players who are involved in the production. Mm-hmm. So, so again, space music is characterized by including multiple um, players, multiple purposes, multiple aspirations. Mm-hmm. So multiplicity is the second thing I'd say about me. And then the third thing that I think characterizes space music is improvisation. Mm, right, it's, right. It's commitments to, to, you know, through that openness and through the individuality of the multiple players to improvising. But here's the Sun Ra difference, I think, improvising together. Mm-hmm. Collectively, so it's not just some individual against some changes. Mm-hmm. No, it's really an ensemble who are exploring together toward the end of making something new happen. So that mm-hmm. part of that world that they're after—that's the world they create together. Mm-hmm. And they, they do a lot of that work improvisationally, even over tunes that they've played hundreds of times. Right, right. So it's always a new experience, I guess, particularly oh, if you listen to them live. Oh, it is. It is always new. And that's one of the joys of listening to Sun Ra and the orchestra over the course of the career. You'll hear many different versions of the same tune. Sometimes an old, uh, an old swing tune, mm-hmm. uh, like Yeah Man, mm-hmm. uh, Fletcher Henderson Orchestra. You'll hear them play it, and they play it with such great beauty, but not because they're faithful to the tune. Mm-hmm. It's swings. Mm-hmm. It's always new, you know. And it's always headed out. <laughs> yeah. headed, out. He- headed out of the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And speaking of headed out of the atmosphere, we're talking with Dr. Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And we're talking about his book, A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra, and the Birth of Afrofuturism, published by our friends at the University of Texas Press. And man, Paul, I'm, I'm telling you, I could talk with you all day, man, it's particularly about, you know, I love music, too. And I could tell you uh-huh. as well, hence your excellent book on on Sun Ra. But I don't want to hold you up all all day. But definitely, if people are interested in talking with you further and, you know, and, and sharing some insights or stories about Sun Ra or anything with you, can they get in contact with you via the Internet or social media or how can they get in contact with you? Oh, they can just email me, and I, okay. I would be so delighted to talk to, to anyone. That's paul.youngquist mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Simple as that, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to you for sure, and I'd be happy to start a conversation that was last year's. James, can I say one more thing about Sun Ron in the book? Oh, man, just, go oh, ahead. All right. <laughs> um, there's, there's one more sort of, of uh, purpose that I felt committed to in this book. One more thing that I wanted to do, wanted the book to do that was really right. important. And that was to uh, celebrate Sun Ra as a poet. Ah, right. We all know him yeah. as a musician, but he was a poet too. And I think he was a very good poet mm-hmm. and a very important poet, but he's, he's mostly an overlooked poet. So one of the things I wanted to do was bring the poetry to the fore. Mm-hmm. He thinks about poetry as another form of music. Music is another form of poetry, so there's a kind of exchange between the Absolutely. two of them. And maybe encourage people to read a little bit of Sun Ra's poems, to take the poems seriously as a way of understanding the music mm-hmm. and vice versa. You know, we publish these poems on record jackets, in catalogs, right. programs, all over the place. You know, so they're kind of distributed all over his world. But uh, the more I think we can immerse ourselves in his poetry, I think the better understanding, the richer understanding we can have of music. And then we get a, a, a kind of philosophical sense, too, mm. of Sun Ra means by Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. outer space, and, and the kind of blackness he wants to cultivate by pursuing this new world. So I just wanted to, to give a plug for the poetry, too. Well, that's, that's great, you know, because I think about a, a more recent artist, uh, Tupac Shakur. Yeah. You know, same, same thing, you know, people, you know, scholars like yourself really want people to look at his poetry, you know, his lyrics as poetry. Yeah. More so than just the musical aspect. So that's really great that you mentioned that. You know, same thing with with Sun Ra. I mean, it's a, a lot deeper than maybe some would, you know, initially think from um, first um, inspection. Absolutely. 
That's right. That's yeah. right. And I think I heard your cat there a little bit too, Paul. I think your cat. Yeah, was, you did. You heard him. He's, he's at the door. Yeah, you know. he's, he's trying well, to get we'll in the in there. He wants in. Yeah. Well, you're talking about some raw, Paul. I mean, that's an exciting topic. Everybody <laughs> wants in on that. That's right. Yeah. Even the cat. I'm sure you're. Yeah. I'm sure your cat has heard a lot of sunrise in, in the household as well over the years, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of it startles him, but I, I hope he's wonderful. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing I'd say just to anybody listening. I, I please give Sunra a chance. He's so accessible now thanks to the internet. In the old days, you couldn't get a hold of him. He had to send away for the records or go to a concert actually to hear it and to to buy a, an El Saturn record. But now he's just a click away. So I would encourage anyone. With, with any curiosity about Afrofuturism or love for music at all, mm-hmm. just go to YouTube, hit anything. Mm-hmm. It could change your life. It'll probably <laughs> make the world a better place. Right, and lots of albums, lots of yeah. uh, collections and such that you can purchase from, like Amazon or you know any of your music providers, iTunes or those kind of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but they should start with your book, Paul. They should start Thank with you. Uh, a Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. We're here with Paul Youngquist. He's an English professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies Channel. And so thank you so much for your time, Paul. I mean, it's, it's great. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to head out to Boulder now so you know, we can do like a listening party at your house, man. Well, I hope this isn't the end. Let's just keep the conversation going. And thank you so very much for your interest in the book and in Sunrise and telling other people about it. Oh, it's 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 my pleasure. And I would love that you know to have you on again. And, and speaking of which, are there any uh, current projects you want to discuss, or future projects, or, or places you want to direct our listeners to that they could find more about your work? Well, you know, a lot of the work I've been doing recently involved Jamaica. Mm-hmm. I go down there and, and do some research, and I found over. The course of the last, say, 10 years, okay. I've been going down there, that I've acquired a, uh, uh, an interest in and passion for Jamaican music. So I think there's a bit of Jamaican music going to come out of this, um, maybe with a focus on, um, on Rastafari and its relationship to music, or maybe maybe just focusing on Lee Perry, because he's such an interesting right. So, yeah, I think... I think it could do for scratch what I've done for Sun Ra, and, and that would uh, maybe maybe open up uh, another side of his creativity. Yeah, well, I would love I would love to see it, Paul. And once you get that completed, or whatever you get, let me know so we can get you back on the show. I'm sure our audience would love to hear from you again. I mean, you're certainly a great man to talk to, and you're very very passionate about your work. And you know, I you know, and I love I love that. Um, you know, and it definitely shows through. You know, in your book. And, you know, thank you for sharing some of your personal stories as well, Paul. You know, it's, it's really helpful for people to kind of hear, you know, you know, a- exactly the process that, you know, t- that you went through in your personal story to get to kind of where you are now. Right. You know, it's kind of a circle. You left Colorado and you're you're back. And then your personal right. story in Minnesota as well. Right. With Miss <laughs> Thelma. Miss Thelma. Thelma, who's still alive. And, and I'm, I'm so blessed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Miss Thelma, if you can hear us right now, thank you so much uh, for being such an influence on uh, Paul's life. It allowed us to have this great work <laughs> and the other great projects Paul has has, has worked on. So, you, you you did good. You were definitely an inspiration to Dr. Youngquist, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. All right. Paul, are there any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with from your, from your, your, your book or uh, any other things that you want to talk about before we... Uh, close out for today? All I'd say is, you know, follow the example of Sun Ra. Mm-hmm. Uh, be visionary. Right. Uh, um, he said, Sun Ra said, you know, the possible has been tried. Mm. And it didn't work. It's time to try the impossible. Ah. The impossible. So, so whatever you think can't be done, think again. Right. You know, follow Sun Ra's lead. Travel the spaceways. And um, and imagine new and better worlds. Ah, that sounds good. You know, I saw an image on the internet recently that it was the word doubt with the uh-huh. UPT scratched out, and it was just uh-huh. do. <laughs> ah, that's it. That's the song uh, I think. Do just, just do. Create. Remove, remove doubt and just do. Yeah, and just do. Yeah. You're, well, you've inspired me, James. There we go. Yeah, I, Thank I you. love it. Well, no, thank thank you, Paul. It was you know it was, it was absolutely great talking to you. I'm sure it will not be the last time that we'll be together on the African American Studies Channel 
on the New Books Network. And one more time before we go, the book is A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. It's published by the University of Texas Press. And if you go to our New Books Network page, you can click through there and you can purchase it directly. And uh, you can also listen to this podcast. You can download it and you can hear Paul again and again and again telling his great stories and and, and sharing his enthusiasm and interest for the work of the great artist Sun Ra. And so on that note, we're going to uh, close out today. I'm going to let Paul go on with his day. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us there, Paul Youngquist. And um, you can say goodbye to our audience. Paul, we'll let you go. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening and, and traveling space with us. Oh, absolutely. And on that note, we're going to say goodbye for the day. Thank you for listening to the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel. By the book, A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism by Paul Youngquist. Peace and love. We'll see you next time. All right, we're back here on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and it was a great interview there with Paul Youngquist, University of Colorado at Boulder, the author of A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism, brought to us by the University of Texas Press. And if you're interested in Sun Ra or you know his music or want to know more about him or have some interest in Afrofuturism, definitely get in contact with Paul. He'd love to hear from you. You can email him at his, his Gmail address that he mentioned or go to his University of Colorado at Boulder uh, webpage and you can shoot him a message. He'd love to hear from you. And his current project that he's doing, he's working on the, uh, a book potentially on Rastafarianism, um, Jamaican music and such. Um, so, you know, if you have some interest there, he'd probably love to hear from you with that as well. So the book is A Pure Solar World, Sun Ra and the Birth of Afrofuturism. Hope you love that interview. I certainly enjoyed having it with Paul Youngquist. You definitely won't be uh, that won't be the last time that you hear him on the uh, New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. So everyone take care. Thank you so much for listening. Peace and love. And we'll see you next time on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. Thank you.